Uh, we are going to be in John chapter 4. I had preached a message before we left town. I preached a message before we left town. Uh, I think it was the Wednesday night before we left. I preached about how God wants all of us. How we're to be a called out people. And that call that God makes on us is a call that causes change in us. And then I preached this past Wednesday night uh, about counting the cost. We were in Luke chapter 14 where he says, Unless you hate your father and mother, sister, brother, yea, even your own life, you cannot be my disciple. Remember that? And I've preached many a sermons on that. And the reality why I keep going back to that and why the Lord continually brings me back to it, continually brings me back to preach it, not just to you, but to me, is the reality that we all have a tendency left to our own devices if we don't maintain a prayer life, if we don't maintain a Bible study life, if we don't maintain a fellowship with other believers, we are apt to slip into all kinds of complacency, all kinds of apathy, all kinds of lethargic behavior that does not glorify God, that doesn't honor God. Amen. And the reality is we all need that, even the pastor, okay? It's really easy because what, what, what goes on in pastor's life is this, where you guys think, oh, he's, he's studying the Bible all the time. Yeah, well... It's really easy for pastors to get trapped in the next sermon and not really study for their own benefit. Do you see that? It's really easy for pastors to get trapped in just studying for the next sermon that I'm going to preach at church because I'm preaching three times a week. Okay, so I'm preaching Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. It's really easy for me just to study stuff that I'm going to be preaching and that's it. And not really have my own devotion time. And not really go, hey God, what's, what am I doing? What do I need to do right? Come on. Amen. So as I preach this morning from John 4, I want you to understand that I really got stuck two weeks ago when we preached on John 4. I got stuck on verse 10, verse 13, and 14 of this chapter. I got stuck right here. And the Lord began to work on my heart, which is why I preached the message that I preached. When I got back that Wednesday night, that's why I preached counting the cost, what it means to follow Christ, what it means to seek after God. I remember Shelly sent me a, a, a message on Facebook one time and said, well, what does it look like to seek after God? What does that look like? And I preached a whole sermon on those seven points of what it looks like to be seeking God. Remember, prayer, reading your Bible. Applying the Bible to your life. Amen. Uh, fellowship. Witnessing. Come on. And there's a couple more that I'm forgetting because I'm doing it off the top of my head. But I got it written down in a notebook at home. Okay. I'm not like Kyle. I don't have to worry about my stuff disappearing on me. Okay. Ah! Couldn't, couldn't let it go, Kyle. I couldn't let it go. I thought it was hilarious. Okay. This is why I'm old school. Okay. My notes don't disappear. Now, I might have a hard time reading my handwriting. But you just work on penmanship after a while, okay? <laughs> but that message was resounding in my spirit. The funny part was when I went to do my own personal devotion time the night before we went to Alistair Begg's church, 
God was, you know, I read, I read a page from John Wesley's little devotion. I read a, a, a page from John MacArthur's book, and they were both talking about this subject that Christ is not just an add-on to my life. He's not just a, an addendum. He's not just, you know, Christ doesn't just get into this little space here where he fits in. Christ is either all of your life or none of your life, period, okay? That's the gospel message. We don't have this gospel that Christ is just this little sliver over here and the rest of it's whatever I want to do. No, it's not how it works. Amen? Whatever you do, even if you make the decision to go work at Walmart, you better go to work at Walmart and glorify God. You better go live for Christ at Walmart. You better go live for Christ where you work. Yeah, you better go for work there. Okay, you better you better glorify God there. You better glorify God at Cessna. You better glorify God uh, working on houses. Amen. You better glorify God being a police officer. Amen. That's what you got to. Amen. Much as I hate to say this, you got to glorify God while you're being a pastor. Amen. The pastor ought to be glorifying God in what he does. Can I get an amen? amen? So as we pick back up in John 4, I'm compelled to linger for a moment here on verse 13 and 14 of John 4. I want to read verse 10 and verse 13 and 14 if you will indulge me. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith unto thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest ask of him, and he would have given thee living water. Remember, we preached the whole sermon three weeks ago on that. And two weeks ago, we preached the sermon on verse 13 and 14. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinks of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. I'm compelled to linger on these verses that we ended with two weeks ago. These verses have driven my thoughts and my prayers for you, for this church specifically, for the people that attend this church, for the people that sit under this uh, leadership and preaching at this church. I've been praying for you, and these verses have compelled me to pray for you. You see, this woman who has come to the well has come face to face with the author of life, with the author of salvation, and it is fixing to change her life, her direction, and her course. I fear it's too easily that we forget our encounter at the well. I think it's far too easy that we be separated from that moment when we met Christ. All too often we become apathetic towards Christ and our fellow believers. We become comfortable and uninvolved with spiritual things, thinking somehow that we've crossed the finish line. We ain't there. And what happened 
30 years ago, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, whenever you got saved, whenever you came to Christ, whenever you had your meeting at the well, your encounter at the well experience with Christ, whenever that was, that wasn't the end of your race. That was the very beginning. All too often we become comfortable and uninvolved with spiritual things, thinking somehow that we have crossed the finish line. But there are ample enough scriptures that warn against complacency and apathy and lethargy in following Christ and in living for Christ. I would, as your pastor, admonish you, do not forsake your first love. Stir up the gift of God that is within you. If you have grown complacent and lethargic, here's the answer. Repent and remember your encounter at the well. Remember from whence you have fallen, Revelation says. Repent and get back to the first works. Repent and get back to wholehearted Wholehearted, love, wholeheartedly, excuse me, loving God and serving God. Get back to wholeheartedly loving and serving others. You want some keys for revival in your life? It takes decisions on your part. Revive your prayer life. Pull that, pull that prayer life out of the box that you stuck it away in. There's all kinds of reasons that we stick our prayer life in boxes and we hide it away. Number one, we get mad at God. We get mad at God for a myriad of reasons. Things didn't go the way we thought they would go. We, things didn't go the way we wanted them to go. Things didn't go our way. Come on, and then all of a sudden we're not talking to God no more because, you know, and we're not going to say it. We may not even voice it, but we are angry and we do not want to talk to God. But the problem with this is, is that the minute you stop praying, you're cutting yourself off from the source of any further grace that could be bestowed upon you. Because he's the author and the finisher, the perfecter of your faith. And you, outside of a relationship with God, will not grow in your faith. You will not be ready for storms. You will not be ready for trials of this life. You will not be ready. Revive your prayer life. Revive your personal devotion time in reading the word, in meditating on the word. God will not pray for you, and God will not read the Bible for you. He will not meditate on the word for you. preached a sermon many, many years ago at First Southern Endearing when I was pastoring over there called Eating Off Your Own Plate. At the time, I had little kids, and they were always coming and taking food off my plate. And it's really annoying, okay, after a while. It's, it's cute when they're like three. When they're ten, you're like, go get your own plate of food. Leave me alone, right? There's no difference in spiritual life. It's all right when new converted Christians are wanting to constantly come and feed off the plate. 
But there comes a time when there's an expectation of you growing up and eating off of your own plate. Can I get an amen? I noticed something when my kids were eating off my plate, and I noticed something when Brad's kids was eating off his plates. We weren't as uh, plump <laughs> as we are now. <laughs> amen? There's sacrifice in feeding children. There's sacrifice that goes involved with training up the children. But there's an also an expectation that one of these days I'm not going to have to keep doing this. You're going to know how to, you know, wipe your own hiney. Come, come on, somebody. If your 20-year-old wanted you to keep wiping their behind, there's going to be an issue, right? Like, okay, come on, come on. Just saying. We got to get right, amen. <clears throat> Revive your commitment to attend and serve and support your local church where God has planted you. This is something that is missing in modern day Christianity because we think, well, I could just do this at home or I could just do this, you know, while I'm doing. That's true. You can have personal devotion time. But I'm going to say something that's going to just shock your britches off of you. That ain't church. Church is when God's people meet together. If you're just at home and you're having devotion and, and, and personal prayer time, that's all great. We're supposed to do that. But we're not to neglect the other also. Why? Because there's blessing. There's graces that are applied to us through fellowship that are not going to be applied in my prayer closet. There's blessings and graces that are going to be applied to me that is not going to come in my own personal devotion time. Do you realize that when we talk about the Bereans, and I love that article that you shared about the Bereans, the Bereans didn't go home and read their own Bibles to see if these things were true about Jesus. They did it as a church they sat at the synagogue and they went over scripture together to see if what Paul told them about this Jesus was true. They didn't even have their own personal Bibles at this time. You realize that? They did it as a corporate body. They sat and they poured over the scriptures. This leads me to another point. Personal revelation about the Bible is all well and good, but corporate faith and belief in Scripture is biblical. Amen? Amen? Amen. It's not what the Bible means to me, because that's not how you read the Bible. It isn't what this Scripture means to me. What does this Scripture mean? That's what you get. I get so tired of hearing, well, what's that mean to you? I don't care what it means to you. What does it mean? What is the intent? If the Bible is a book written by God for man to reveal God's plan and God's will for humanity, then God's the author and God had an intended message to be preached. Not just some fly by the seat of your pants, oh, this is what it means to me and this is what it means to you. And that's how we got people who say it's okay to be homosexual. Even when the Bible says it's not okay to be homosexual. And they'll go, well, that's your interpretation. No, that's what the Bible says. Amen. It's 
not interpretation. If you, if you start to parse everything out to, well, that ain't what it means to me. Well, I'm sorry. I don't care if you think that's what it means to you. The point is, that's what it means. Okay? What you feel about it actually doesn't matter. No different than being a murderer. Amen? It's a sin. I can't... Would we sit around and go, it's okay for murderers to keep murdering? No. None of us would do that. Yet, the New Testament puts murder, thievery, lying next to adultery, homosexuality, fornication. Amen? It's not what does the Bible mean to me. What does the Bible mean when it says something? It's got one meaning. It's not a bunch of other meanings. Now, there may be some truths that we can parse out of there and go, oh, you know, this is great, but I can't say that's what the Bible's teaching. Unless it's what the Bible's teaching. Amen? But that's never going to be done in your personal prayer life because most time in our personal devotion life, what happens is we go, this is what I think it means. And then there's nobody there to go, I don't think so, Tim. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's nobody in your personal devotion life that's going to go, oh, no, no, that ain't what that means. Right. The only way you're going to get that is in fellowship, in corporate worship with other believers. This only way you're getting that grace. Amen? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close this up so I can get back to this John 4, okay? Revive your witness to others of the good news that has radically and irreversibly changed your life. And we're going to see that that is exactly what happens to this woman when she is at the well and comes to know the gift of God and drinks of the waters of eternal life. Now, I wanted to start with that admonishment because I had planned on just changing this whole sermon and just putting a pause on John and, and, and making a little board up here and going over what looks like to follow God, what it doesn't look like to follow God, but the reality is I'm not going to keep beating a dead horse. So my admonishment is to you is to believe the gospel. Believe Christ. Believing Christ is not something that is done in word only, but is done in deed. James said faith without works is dead. The faith that it takes to believe is not a dead faith that will be alone. It's an alive faith that will change you, that will mold you and shape you. It will change your life. It will cause you to walk differently. We're going to go to verse 15. Well, man, prayer works. Amen. <laughs> Carmen walked in the door. Amen. <laughs> All right, let's go to verse 15. Now, we've already went past the part where she, she says, uh, Jesus tells her, whoever drinks the water that I shall give him 
shall spring up into him as a well into everlasting life. Verse 15, the woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water, and I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. And Jesus saith unto her, Go call thy husband, and come hither. And the woman answered and said unto him, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast five husbands, and he whom thou now is, uh, he who thou now hast, is not thy husband. In that saidest thou truly. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. And Jesus said unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship what you know not. And we worship what we know, for salvation is of the Jews. And but the hour cometh, and now is, when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now verse 25 and 26 are really key moments. The woman said unto him, I knowest that Messiah cometh. Which is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said unto her, I that speak unto you am he. And upon this came his disciples and marveled that he had talked with the woman. Yet no man said, What seekest thou, or why talkest thou with her? The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and said to the men, Come, see a man which told me all things that I ever did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. Now I titled this, Come and See a Man. And that's the point. Every one of us have had that moment at the well experience if we have come to faith in Christ. Amen? And this woman has walked through, first of all, racial understandings. Well, well, how are you, a Jew, talking to me, a Samaritan? Right? She's walked through that racial divide. And then she asked him the simple question of, uh, are you greater than our father Jacob? Well, yes, I am greater than your father Jacob. Matter of fact, I wrestled with Jacob. Uh, when Jacob had his dream while his head was on the rock, I, not only did I give him the dream, but I was the ladder in the dream that he saw where angels were ascending and descending from heaven to earth. And Jesus, when he talks to Nathaniel, says, greater things than this shall you see. You shall see at the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. So this woman went through racial uh, prejudice with Jesus. She went through uh, 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 historical, traditional uh, uh, barriers with Christ. And here she came to this understanding of, of, Lord, I want this water. Verse 15 says, I want this water. Give me this water. She is still thinking naturally and does not yet see that she is in spiritual need 
and spiritually thirsty. See, Jesus' whole reason for going here is not to just tell her the Joel Olstein gospel of, hey, you're a good person, God loves you and wants to save you. <laughs> right? He's about to do something that is missing from behind pulpits in America today. He's about to reveal to her her need, her sin, her need for him. Amen? Because to this point, they've batted around, you know, uh, I'll, I'll call it small talk. They've just been doing some small talk. Jesus was up. Uh, giving her a little leeway and just a little small talk. Uh, who are you, a Jew, asking me, a Samaritan? So he's like, uh, uh, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that spoke to you. See, that question or that statement that he made is leading up to the very end where she finally understands the gift of God and who it is that speaks to her. The very, very end of this where she says, I know that when Messiah comes, see her whole train of thought went from natural things right into, I know when Messiah comes. And Jesus plainly tells her, I'm him. But this question here, give me a drink. She's still trapped in earthly thought. And how easy is it for us to get trapped in earthly thoughts about Christ and earthly needs and earthly things that we need to accomplish and we forget that Jesus said, don't store up for yourself treasure on earth where moth and rust can corrupt and thieves can break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasure in heaven. Amen? So Far too often, and every single lost person is the same way. They are trapped in their flesh. They're trapped in sin. They're dead to the things of God. So when you start speaking, don't get overwhelmed when they don't understand you at first. Keep pushing. Keep plucking. Keep talking. Keep going. Amen? Amen? Verse 16, <laughs> I love Jesus' answer. He says, Jesus said unto her, go call thy husband. <laughs> first of all, first of all, this woman's face. How many of you would love to have seen her face when Jesus said, go call your husband, right? Because I'm pretty sure, like, how many of you... When you came to Christ, there was some certain things going on in your life that wasn't really uh, pleasing to God. Would have, we would call it sin, right? Outright sin. You were in rebellion against God. And when you came to God, you probably had that same look on your face. How did you know that? <laughs> Amen? Having now spoken of spiritual things and been misunderstood... Three different times, Jesus begins the process of confronting her with her need, with her sin. Verse 17 and 18, <laughs> the woman answered him and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband, 
in that thou said truly. Now here's the good part. There's two things that I notice here. Jesus, first of all, he's revealing her sin to her, right? Second of all, he's showing his omniscience of his knowledge of the situation. Amen? In other words, what Jesus is doing is revealing pretty outrightly, not only is he just a Jew, he's more than that. Amen? So she starts to go, I think you're a prophet. Well, she's going to come to the end of this thought, but reality is Jesus is showing his deity to her in this verse. When he tells her of her own life and what she's doing wrong right then, right then, with no way of knowing it, he did, Jesus didn't know this lady from anybody. He just happened to come on the, the well, right, and here she comes. Earthly Jesus didn't know this woman at all. But because he's God, but because John 2 says that he knows what's in a man, amen, because Jesus is God, he looks right at her and tells her exactly what's going on in her life. John 2, 23 and 20 through 25 will tell you that Jesus knows what is in a man. This is another proof of the deity of Christ as God by John. John wrote this epistle. John wrote this gospel so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you would have life in his name, right? John 20, verse 30, 31. Amen? The whole purpose of him writing this was to reveal Jesus as the Christ, as God in the flesh. Amen? And this is exactly what Christ himself is doing with this lady. He is literally, this is one of the pivotal moments in scripture where you can look and see Jesus declaring his deity, declaring that he's the Messiah. Absolutely emphatically. Now, when the Jews asked him if he was the Messiah, he answered way more evasively, didn't he? He said, I've, I've said many things and done all these works. Why haven't you believed? He didn't just say, yep, I'm him. But he does that right here. It's very interesting. You can chalk it up to the providence of God. You can chalk it up to the different situation. Either way, in one instance, Jesus is very evasive in answering the question. And then another, he answers it forthrightly. Amen? I think it goes to show that Jesus is a lot harder to grasp when you're a stuffy old religious person who thinks you got it all figured out. Exactly, exactly. But they so think they're so smart that they couldn't see what was right in front of them. And this lady, who's a Samaritan, who only had the first five books of the Bible, did not believe the rest of the Old Testament. Samaritans only had the first five books, the Pentateuch. They did not believe any of the rest was authoritative scripture. But this woman who came from Samaria, who only had those five books, 
who, who, for all intents and purposes, didn't look like she was living for God, having five husbands, and the one she's with now isn't her husband. But this woman, with her lack of knowledge, with her lack of status, with her sin ever before her, comes to a conclusion that many of those Jewish leaders couldn't even fathom. I know that when Messiah comes. Why? Because God chooses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. God chooses the weak things of this world to overpower the mighty. Verse 19. The woman said unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. So immediately she understood that something was different about this guy, but she didn't quite have her mind set on that he was the Messiah yet. Amen? You're a prophet. I think you're a prophet. There's a lot of people today that are all right with Jesus just being a prophet. There's a lot of people today that they're all right with Jesus being a good teacher and a prophet. But the minute you call him Messiah or Lord or God, then they go berserk. Oh, he wasn't God. Yes, he sure was God. Not was God. I'm going to say it like it is. He is God. Amen. Verse 20 through 24 I just wrote a note here. It's not about where you worship, but who you worship. Notice, you worship what you do not know, he tells her. Why? Because the Jews worshipped what they did know. They had the whole entirety of the Old Testament and understood who this Yahweh God is. Amen? But even then, even those who had the whole law. Even those who, who had it delivered right to them were incapable of living by it. Jesus, from the very beginning of his statement here, he says, Woman, believe me that the hour is coming when ye shall neither in this mountain nor at Jerusalem worship the Father. You see where he's tearing down the presupposed ideas of, oh, I have to worship here and I have to worship there. It's not about where you worship. It's about who you worship. Now, I want to make a caveat in this because some people will say, well, that sounds like double talk because a minute ago you told people they need to come to church. Yep. It's not double talk. I didn't say that you couldn't worship God in your own prayer time. I didn't say you couldn't worship God in your own uh, private devotion time. What I said is that we have New Testament correspondence to what the church is. And church is not at your home by yourself. Church is when you are around other believers reading the word, singing songs, hymns, spiritual songs. I think it sounds like 1 Corinthians 14. That's church. Amen? And as much as we want to make anything else church, there's a difference. 
Jesus established his church because he knew that this born-again life was not going to be able to do it by myself. You aren't going to be able to do it by yourself. Everyone in this room needs each other in our walk with Christ to some degree or another. I'm not saying they're dependent on you getting saved. It's not what I said. But we need each other to live out this Christian life. That's a fact. Amen. He says, you worship what you do not know. The days are coming. <laughs> the, day, the coming days would show that neither Jew or Samaritan in the future would focus on the place to worship, but on who it was they worshiped. This surely is his intent and his understanding, or his intent and her understanding of what he says. Notice how she responds when he says uh, that God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. He's just told her that it's not going to be about this mountain, it's not going to be about that mountain. It's about who you worship, and you have to worship him in spirit and in truth. And the woman finally got it. He said, she said, I know that when Messiah comes, he'll tell us all things. Now, first of all, he didn't tell her all things, right? But he did tell her her own business that nobody else could have known, that he couldn't have possibly known had he not been God. Number two, he told her how worship was going to change, how God wanted those that worship him, does worship him in spirit and truth. Not only does God desire that, but God seeks such to worship him. Amen? And that information, with her limited knowledge, was enough for her to go, I know that when Messiah comes, who is called Christ, when he comes, he will tell us all things. And she said, and Jesus said unto her, I that speak to thee am he. Now I want to kind of jump down to verse 28. Skip one verse because I could preach a message on what the disciples thought and how they reacted, but we're not going to do that. Needless to say, they were astonished that Jesus was talking to the woman, but they didn't question him, right? Verse 28 is very important because verse 28 is the pattern that we see over and over and over and over in the New Testament. Verse 28, the woman left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith to the men, come and see a man which told me all things that I ever did. Is this not the Christ? This woman instinctively did what Jesus had to tell that rich young ruler and he was unwilling to do. This woman instinctively, without even being asked, did what Jesus asks every disciple. Leave everything you have and follow me. She left her water pot. The whole purpose that she even came to that well was to draw water to take home. 
but it became unimportant because she came face to face with the giver of eternal life. I'm telling you, saints, that the Bible is so clear. And I know that this kind of goes into what I was preaching about Wednesday, but the reality is Luke chapter 14 is so explicit that if we want to follow Christ, we got to love Christ more than we love anything else. we got to be willing to take up our cross and follow him. We must renounce all that we have and follow him. And this woman leaving this bucket at the well is just a picture of exactly what every disciple that ever followed Christ with a true and regenerate heart ever did. They left all and followed him. This woman didn't just leave all and follow him. She just went out and started telling other people about him. Hey, come see a man. Told me all things I ever did. It's not this the Christ. So amazing to me. She left her purpose for coming to the well. And she left with a different purpose. Like everyone who comes to Christ, we must forsake all and follow him. Our goal as Christians in following Christ should always be in whatever way we can, to whoever we can, the same words as this woman. Come and see a man. His name is Jesus. Amen. There's only one mediator between God and man. The man. Christ Jesus. Can I get an amen? amen? This message resounded with me because in my heart I really, really, really have been challenged to be deeper. Go farther. Give up more. Don't hold nothing back for living for God. I'm telling you, you got to remember your well experience. Whatever, however far from God you feel right now. How many of you, if I asked you right now, would lift your hand and say, I really feel like I'm really far away from God? You don't have to hold your hand up, but if you want to, you can. It's really simple. The Bible says, repent and do the first works. That's what he tells the church in Revelation. He said, I know thy works. But I have this one thing against you. You have lost your first love. You've left your first love. Repent and do the first works. What's the first works? Those first works when you really, really had that meeting at the well with Christ that caused your life to change, that caused your speech to change, that caused your, 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 your whole being to change, you wanted to tell everybody about this Jesus who changed your life. You wanted to do anything you could to live for God. The Bible says that he never leaves us or forsakes us. So all of you that held your hand up, the reality is Christ has not given up on you. Christ will not stop seeking you. He'll not stop running after you. 
Your sin is no greater than his grace. His mercy is new every morning. There's not one person on planet earth that Christ would not run to hell for and have it already. I want you to understand that if you feel like you're away from God, it takes one thing. Repent. Turn back to Christ. Start doing those things that you did when you were in love with him the very first time. It's that simple. Stand and we'll pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your grace. Lord, for your mercy. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you have you came to this earth. You lived. You died for our sins according to the scriptures. You rose from the dead for us, for our justification according to the scriptures. Because you came to seek and to save that which was lost. And you've come for all those who would believe, God. And I ask you right now, Lord. If there's any in this room who do believe in you, who are walking under condemnation or, or, or walking in conviction over sin, God, I pray that you would grant them repentance, that you would call them back to yourself, God, that right now, today, at this very moment, they would lay down their hearts on the altar of your love and grace and mercy, that they would come boldly before the throne of grace to obtain grace and mercy today. Because your word says, he who confesses his sin, <laughs> I will forgive their sin. He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. So Lord, we ask that you would forgive us this morning. That you would renew a right spirit within us, God. That you would cause us to be refreshed, to re cause us to be revived. Help us as we seek you. Lord, I pray for anyone who's watching or anyone in this room that does not know you, God. That today they would come to faith in Christ. That they would answer the gospel call. That they would hear the Father's call and turn to Christ and believe. Lord, we ask that you would help us as a church. To remain steadfast in our hope and our service to you and to others. Give us grace for where we fail and fall short. Let your mercy be in us and work through us. Lord, we pray that you would bless the food and the fellowship that we're about to receive. Pray, God, that you would give us grace and mercy every time we need it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen.